Welcome, friends, to the Soul Talk podcast, a show where we explore and uncover the path to the heart, amplifying your conscience. Join me as we meet incredible souls who are in this journey and learn from their experience and different methods that will make you vibrate your heart. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. This is Monica Ramirez, the Warrior of Love, and today we're in Soul Talk. And we have a very special person and uh, that is very, very interesting after I read his bio. Uh, his name is Aaron Lazar. He is, uh, he's talking to us from Costa Rica. He's a multidimensional uh, psychic, Akashic realm expert and energy worker and channel the galactic light beings such as the Acturians, the Pleiades, the Syrians, the Galactic Federation. As a spiritual teacher and a full-blown psychic with his full-blown psychic gifts, Aaron Lazar channels the galactic frequency codes. His codes work with every aspect of the persons in 3D and to assist in creating the lifetime and abundance and fulfillment. I don't thank you for accepting my invitation for Soul Talk. I really appreciate that. Oh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here and um, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to an interesting quantum conversation. I am curious, what did make you start uh, channeling? Uh, start channeling because it is a change for everybody because that was not used to in our society mm. or normal for our society. What did make you start channeling? Um, I kind of it's it's like all of my spiritual gifts kind of unpacked with bump. I uh, the universe kind of smacked me in the face, brought me back into alignment really after. Goodness me, but 15, 15 years or so of, of living out of alignment. Um, my third eye opened when I was uh, when I was 20. I'm 42 now, so it's 22 years ago. And it was like all the radio stations and TV stations wanted to come through at once. And it just scared the life out of me. I, was, uh, I didn't know how to cope with it. I was scared by it. Um, I was 20, so I just wanted to do normal stuff and just kind of go out with my friends and concerts and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, there was it was fine when I was kind of opening up at sort of weekends. But if I'm trying to get to sleep and I've got my job the following day that I need to be up for and it's like 11 o'clock at night, I'm feeling all this really heavy negative energy in the room and it's scaring me. I was like, oh, I don't I don't I don't know how to control it. I need to push it away. So I did. And I consciously turned my receiver off with with hindsight. I wish I hadn't, but I did. Um, I turned it off consciously. and I pushed it away. And then I lived out of alignment pretty much uh, within the matrix, if you like, um, believed um, the kind of, um, believed the political system, listened to the news for my information, da 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 all of that kind of stuff. And then later on in my life, um, I was brought abruptly into alignment by the universe and had this huge awakening. And it was shortly after we visited Uluru in Australia. And that's a magical place energetically if you've ever been. You can sort of almost feel it in the air. It's tangible when you, you drive there. And another thing I've noticed, which is super interesting, is um, some of these some of the places that you kind of visited previously in your life when you're not maybe awakened. Once you are awakened and you, your sort of receivers turned on, you experience them completely differently. 
And so I had the same when I went to the Mayan sites, I went to Chichen Itza on a separate occasion, and the energy was just off the scale. So Uluru was, um, that sort of accelerated the process. And I remember then we, after after um, Uluru in the centre in Australia, we actually took a road trip and we went up to, uh, that was Darwin in the, in the Northern Territory. And uh, that was so exciting. It was kind of at that point, to come back to your original question about channeling, this is kind of when it started. And I remember opening up to to what I now know are higher kind of realms of consciousness. And I connected into this body of energy for the first time. And I knew instantly this information and stuff, which I'd not known before. I just knew, like, you it's almost as if like they were memories or knowledge or they'd call them downloads, whatever you want, want to call them. But it was almost like all of this new perspective just unpacked in the moment. And I just knew. And I was like, oh, my God, it's the Arcturians. Oh, my God, it's the Council of Elders. I, I've not even consumed anything from anybody else or been influenced. It's just unpacked me in the moment. I was like, oh, my God, this is Council of Elders. Wow. And I could see them in my mind's eye. And then what got me for the first time, it was like the first time I connected to their energies, it was like my heart center here had connected with family, like long lost family that I hadn't seen in like a long time. And the only way I can describe it maybe to your listeners would be if your physical family that you hadn't seen them in, I don't know, five years, six years, there's separation for, for whatever reason. And you were to make, finally make the trip on an aeroplane and you were to reunite at the arrivals thing and give everybody a big hug, that feeling that you would get in your heart. That's how it felt when I connected to the Arcturian. So I knew in, in that moment that they were my family. They felt like family. And I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And then it was from that point that I wanted to spend time with them. So then every time I elevated my consciousness, I'd go straight back to the Arcturians and I studied with the Council of Elders. I spent time with them. I asked them to give me uh, upgrades. I asked them to work with me and to develop my consciousness. And it was through that time spent with them over a, over a period of time, over a number of times, that I kind of instinctively unpacked this ability to be able to channel. And it's like, um, so it started off with the Arcturians, but then when I, when I, it was the Arcturians actually that said to me, they said, you know what, we love you being here. You can come anytime you want to, but if you want to develop, we probably recommend go off and spend some time with other races. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll go off. <laughs> All right, I'll take the hint. And so I kind of did, and I went off then exploring, and my intention was to connect to other races of light and of the highest. I didn't want to connect to anything negative. Um, I had my fingers burnt with that. And when I when it frightened me when I was 20 years old and I didn't want to a repeat of that. So I was like, oh, no, go away. I'm just going to focus on, on, on the light and the highest vibration. And that's what I did. And every um, race that I connected to and I connected to that field of energy through the same process of that I used to channel with the Arcturians, it's like I could just channel that energy from a different source. And so I just quickly discovered that I was able to do it really. Um, it's not something that... I intended to learn to do. It just kind of unpacked within me. And so here we are, really. Then uh, in my experience, it is I, being a, I am a contactee and I am a channeler. I do remember going into a spaceship and getting to know the vibration of different races. Did that something similar happen to you? Yeah, for sure. Um, and that happened. Um, I mean, I've been to various ships. 
I've been to um, and I can channel. I've, I've taken groups consciousness up there when I've worked with people in groups to the Galactic Federation. We've gone on a, on a tour, which was really that was magnificent. That was. Um, but you're right. It's every race has their own individual energetic signature. So the Arcturians feel very different to the Syrians. The Pleiadians feel super different to the Syrians and the Arcturians and all the others. Then the Orions, then you've got the Andromedans, and it goes on and on and on, and they've all got their own calling cards. And even the smell is different. Like the Lyrians have a very particular smell. I don't get the smell, see? And it's kind of like, that fascinates me, because I'm like, wow, okay, that's another level of experience I'd love to feel. Like for me, how I, how I get it is I will get, my consciousness is very visual. So I get almost like silent pictures and then I have to channel in the context of what's going on with the pictures and the imagery. It's like watching a silent movie or like a movie with the, si- the sound off you know, on, on TV. And then so I channel and I get this additional information in. So like that's how I kind of experience it. But then I also just get the feeling through my body. So I, ne- I never get the smell or the taste. I wish I did. That, that sounds amazing. Like, I have a question. Do, because you guys experience it with different races and so forth. I would like your point of view. What is the difference? I know all of them, they wanted to, they are here to help us as human, be- you know, human beings, uh, to yeah. all the human beings and to the planet. But what are there the difference between the Lyrians, the Acturians, the Pleiades, etc.? All the, the reasons. There was contacting. The difference. So, what's the? Why are they each wanting to help humanity? Is that the question? Yes, because they have, the, they have the speciality. Each one of them, or well, they are good, better than the other ones. Yeah. But I would like your point of view on yeah. that. So my understanding, and again, um, I should point out that. By the way, I love to study and I love information. I, I, I really do. But I made a decision early on that I didn't want my perspective and my understanding to be influenced by information that I'd seen elsewhere and that somehow my consciousness was influenced. I wanted to get my information straight from source and then perhaps to confirm it from other places and then to, to kind of read. So I wanted to get it from there first and then to start to see what other people had experienced. And so um, what I got from when I connected to the Galactic Federation, and so this is straight from the horse's mouth, so straight from the, the quantum field. And what I got was that um, when the Galactic Federation was set up and it was set up off the back of the Orion Wars to stop all of that conflict that went on for millions of years, because... It, it wasn't constant conflict, but there was periods of conflict and then peace and conflict and peace. And there was just so much loss on both sides. And it was almost like a war of ideologies in the end. So you had the the side, the baddies, if you like, we would we would refer to them as that. So that the negative polarity races, which were in service to self and they wanted conquest and subjugation and all this kind of stuff. And there was a band of races that sort of believed in the same thing. And then you had uh, the sort of the, the federation of, of uh, sort of po- positive polarity races, believed in the law of one, service to others, all that kind of stuff. So it was like an ideological battle that went on for millions of years. So the Syrians came up with um, the concept for the Galactic Federation. It was them that came up with it. And it's their technology that allows that, even to this day, allows that Galactic Federation to function because... Picture this, you've got 
Um, all of these races that were historical enemies at each other's throats, right, around the table, all kind of coming together to discuss business to maintain peace. So each of those um, representatives around this table are connected to their own race's collective consciousness field, right? There's a link there. And so we, we need to understand that all of these races are not speaking the same language. If you listen to different light languages, they're all different. It's like the difference between Spanish and French and English and German and, you know, and, and uh, I'd say American because American speaks slightly. I'm, I'm joking, but uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? Just the different languages around Japanese, <coughs> Chinese, whatever. So it's kind of, they need to be able to effectively communicate, right? And so how do they do this whilst at the same time protecting that line back to their collective consciousness? Because if you think on one side you had the Syrians, on the other side, say the, the Drake or Draconian or, or the Reptilian, let's say, how could a Syrian trust to almost merge consciousness to communicate telepathically and not think that the Draco or another race would try and take advantage of that link and try and do something to, to the collective consciousness and vice versa? So, you know, the, the, the negative races thinking that the positives might try and do something. So there needed to be a solution for, for this, for it to work. And it's the Syrian technology that enabled that to happen. And they showed me. So what it is, within the centre of this room, they all take their place around this, this table. And the, the table, inverted commas, on top of it has this, it's almost like a, an energetic portal that sits on top of this. And everybody is able to project their consciousness, or the representatives can project their consciousness down into this pool of energy and safely communicate with other delegates around the table without being able to access another race's collective consciousness. And so therefore provide safety. It, it's throw me to this question. It's like basically, um, it's like empathic people, like psychics. When we're trying to, when they're trying to hide information from us, we already know it because it's, because it's already there. And we all can connect to the same information. Yes. Something like that, it was the table. Yeah, kind of. For, the, for them to be able to communicate, because they don't speak, none of them speak the same languages, for them to be able to communicate and understand one another, there's no translator that's in the room translating between. You know, like if you if you were in the European Union, there would be a little headset and it's somebody's translating um, between the, the different languages. It doesn't work like that. So they communicate telepathically, but the connection is created at this pool of energy that they sit around. And it's translated in real time because then rather than it becoming verbal, it's frequency. And you can interpret that with your consciousness. And it's Syrian technology. So they came up with a concept for the Federation. And they came up with a technology that they invented it, actually. So it didn't exist before this, but they came up with a technology to, to facilitate its functionality. And so really speaking, the Syrians don't get enough. Um, they don't get enough plaudits for what they come up with. And I send them gratitude every day because without the Galactic Federation, we, what we would be taught, what we'd be looking at is potentially those Orion Wars still ongoing. Like, you know, it was the Galactic Federation that came up with it. So how is it linked to the different races then, which was your question? I needed to put some context on this, but I'm, I'll come to this now. So humanity, us, you, everybody else listening to this, right? We have not had representation at the Galactic Federation. And we make up, we are a, we are a component part of this overall symphony that's going on with um, extraterrestrial races. And so there was... 
a sort of disagreement between the, the sort of galactic the membership of the Galactic Federation um, was kind of split on whether humanity should take its place or not because we weren't evolved enough consciously. So the Atlanteans and the Lemurians were almost at the point where they could have taken their consciousness and taken their seat at this galactic. This galactic federation has been around for eons. It's not just a modern thing. It's just we are looking at it from a modern perspective. It's been around for a long time. And the Atlanteans and Lemurians were almost at the point technologically and consciously that they would be considered ascended enough to be able to take a seat at the Galactic Federation. And then it basically sunk because of human nature and ego. There was a big war and all that good work was just undone. And it was like, whoa, nearly there, back down, and we've got to start again. And so we now, this moment in time, are just on the precipice of this collective pop where we all kind of, all of our consciousness on Earth ascends together. So it's like a collective awakening from this control grid that we've been plugged into. I was plugged in for 15 years. You know, we've all been in it. We're all born into it. It's just a case of at certain times we break free of it. And that's what's going to happen. So humanity as a whole is going to wake up from this. And is then it's at that point that we can collectively ascend our consciousness. So... Why, why did the different races along the years with the pyramids and all this kind of stuff, why, why, what was that all about? Why did they want to help, right? So way back when, just, just I feel just after the Atlantic, the, the sort of the sinking of Atlantis, etc., there was a disagreement between half of the Galactic Federation and the other half. And one half felt that humans, humanity, should have their seats because we were a part of the whole thing. The other half felt that we weren't quite ready from a consciousness perspective and that we needed more time to grow and develop. So there was a disagreement, right, between about 50-50 it was, just off 50-50. And so what was happening, when you've got a disagreement with a federation, you need to have, um, needs to be a compromise. That's the function of the federation, right? That's, you know, needs to be a compromise. So what the compromise was, when humanity's consciousness reaches a certain level, and once we surpass that, then everybody within that federation is then happy at that point. And some have conceded and said, okay, well, look, we'll make a compromise. If humanity gets to a certain point, then yes, we're fine with it. And there was consensus with that. And so what then happened outside of the Galactic Federation, all the races that were wanting us to join came down to start to help us. And they came time to help us because they were trying to get our consciousness to a point where it satisfied this agreement so we could take our position at the Galactic Federation, which is almost here. Like, we will see it in our lifetimes. This is basically almost upon us. Um, so that's kind of why you're seeing intervention from the Arturians. That's why Syrians came and shared the technology about building pyramids. And you can see the elongated heads in the, in the kind of on the walls in stone and all of this. And it goes on and on and on. Um, but essentially, that's the incentive for these races that have been coming and helping us, basically. But what will be the, beside of the race, of course, the difference in conscience between the Acturians and the Pleiades or the Lyrians? Or... Because they have um, their reality, each one of them, and what are they better for? They do. I mean, it's like, I would say... I would say they're all obviously more aware 
and more ascended than we are, even at this moment in time, goes without saying, right? Um, and some of them live in different locations. So, for instance, the Arcturians used to used to reside in the third dimension, and they were able to physically shift into the fifth dimension. They were able to shift and move into the fifth dimension. So one of the things with the Arcturians is that they look at what we're going through. And in a way, they see themselves in us because they've been through the same journey. They've gone from the third to the fifth. And not just from an operating system where, you know, it's kind of all of a sudden everybody is just operating on this higher, pardon me, frequency band from a consciousness, but we're still in the, in the same realm. They physically moved. They physically shifted. They've, they've shifted into a different frequency band. So that's the reason that the Arcturians, aside from helping us because they want us to take our seat, but they, they see themselves in us as well, you know? But also something that I know about the Arcturians is about the technology. It's one of the more the more advanced technologies. In the, the most advanced, yeah. The yes. most advanced more than the Lyrians and things like that. They're more warriors, the Lyrians. Yeah, they're beautiful, the Lyrians. Um, and and it's like, um, I connect to them as well. So um, the Lyran, there's two types of Lyrans. You've got the Lyran felines and the Lyran avians. The Lyran avians are the ones with the wings. They've got humanoid bodies, and that's where we descend from. That's where we come from as a species, you know. Those are the blue avians. Uh, no, that's different. So it's, and it does get confusing because so many of them, the blue avians are—they—they they are just beautiful. If you ever connect to their energy, it's—they're very, very, very high vibrational. Um, they've got like vivid blue feathers and like bird-like faces with like small beaks, and they embody both um, the feminine and they embody both the masculine frequencies as a union. It's like a divine union with them. They're all about unconditional love harmony and peace about them and they're amazing but they they are they're their own species but the lyrans are completely different they've they've got these enormous beautiful wings lyra is just stunning like like i've i've seen it's like like i've been in a movie flying over the agriculture fields when i'm in a meditative state i've seen their society i've seen their culture they're amazing amazing uh, race and there's two types of lyrans you've got the lyran feline and you've got the Lyran uh, avians. The Lyran avians, our descendants, are much more approachable. So you can go and hang out with them and spend time with them. And um, there's no problem there at all. Um, the Lyran felines are a little bit more standoffish. They're a bit, um, it's almost every time I connect to them, it's like the other other races are like, oh, welcome. It's nice to see us. You know, they make you kind of feel welcome for, for making the connection. But the Lyran felines are almost like, okay, well, why are you here then? sort of justify your presence. That's why I did that expression because I I did not knew that they were, I have not connected with the uh, the avians except for the Lyrians with um, more feelings. And they're, I feel the the warrior side more. They're rough from the ages, let's put it like that. But they're very loving and they're very protecting, like a father that trying to protect. And it can be very rough from the ages. Yes, yeah. I feel that, but I did not knew this is this is new for me about yeah. aliens. Yeah, yeah, they're, oh, they're beautiful. Like they, they, and they, they've got different colored wings uh, depending on. So, just give you some nuance about their society. It's just, it's so nice. 
Um, so they, depending what speciality they are, uh, depends on what color wings they have. So for instance, education is white um, and uh, written down a list, there's blue, there's green, there's kind of red, there's different colors. And it's it depends on uh, what your specialism in, is. And how this works is, okay, the specialism is passed down through DNA because there's information within DNA. There is from us. And this is why we get wisdom from ancestors and things like this, right? And so another thing is, for instance, have you ever seen those businesses with tradespeople and it's like father, like son? You've got the father and son businesses. And it's almost like the, the son not only learns himself, but he gets that knowledge passed directly from the dad because that's the dad's expression, right? It's passed down in DNA. And so a lyre and feline's expression, again, and the information and the, um, the ability and all this kind of stuff and, and the, the, the history and knowledge of that particular specialism is given through DNA to the offspring of parents. So let's say, for instance, you've got two scientists that come together, right? A male and a female lyron with the, the wings. Again, I don't want to give you the wrong information. Rio would probably connect correctly. I'm not sure if it's blue for sciences. I'm, I'm testing my memory now. Anyway, whatever color they are, let's say you've got two scientists, then the wing color is determined by... Um, Obviously, the color of both the parents is blue, and, and that would be um, science. Saying. But what happens if, because you don't have to marry into the specialism, so you don't have to come together with a partner with no specialism. What happens if you've got somebody from sciences, one half, and you've got somebody from medicine, let's say. That's another specialism with a different color. So what color is the kid going to be, right? Well, it comes down to the strength of the genes in each of them and the strength of the information in that line of DNA from both sides. And the most dominant sides win the kind of color, if you like. And the whole idea of their evolution is that each, um, each generation gets better and stronger at what they're doing, not only because of how they're taught and the skills that they learn when they're alive, but what's been passed down through that genetic line, if that makes sense. So it's kind of... It is kind of the, the humans, we can see it uh, between the Jewish people, that they were married, the Kanashi, that they were married between each other. So their blood, they're, they're having a bunch of issues, of health issues because of that. When they mix another races, those are the, health, uh, are the more healthy ones. And we see it yeah. in many, many races of humans. Is the same thing, kind of, what you're talking about. That is very interesting. I did not ask those questions when I connect. This is very interesting. <laughs> yeah, go, go. And next time you connect, next time you connect and, and ask those questions, get them to show you. And um, I don't want to steal all of that sort of journey of discovery and excitement, but it's, it's amazing. Go look at the monuments there. It's, 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 it's amazing. I really, really love um, you know, and they suffered as well. If, if you look at the, the Orion Wars and what stemmed that off, that, you know, it's kind of, they were pretty much defenseless against what happened and they lost around 50 million Lyrans roughly. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, it was, they've been through a lot, you know, but I would say they're, um, they're one of, um, they're one of the, the, the races that I really love to connect to. I really kind of resonated with, uh, with their history. I was seeing one of your videos about uh, a dragon. I connect a lot with the dragons. And every time I talk with my clients, if the dragons, they confuse them with Dracos, 
and there is a big difference between the Dracos and the dragons. And can you please um, yeah about it? So there's, there's, uh, you've got the dragons and you've got the draconians, and so there's there was a there's a difference between the two. So dragons good, draconians not good. And basically, um, again, what I've been shown, and this comes from this comes from my connection to them and what they've been given to me. So it's straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, and not from uh, not from I haven't been influenced anywhere else. Um, is that there was two? Um, there were two. I was shown there was two dragons that were captured by the Anunnaki, and this goes back like a long, 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 long time ago. Um, obviously, the Draconians at that point didn't exist. And what happened was, I was shown, was that they were genetically modified or genetically experimented on. And all of the negativity, because we've got every polarity within us, right? All of us all, at all times. It's just what, what our tendency tends to be. But there's every potential. And that there's that potential exists within the dragons as well. It's just they choose to express themselves in a positive way. So what happened was that the, the Anunnaki took all of the uh, negative out of the, the dragons and rejected all of the positive. And what they did was create, it was like Frankenstein's monster, but they created the Draconians. Um, and then obviously, you know, we're fully aware of what the Draconians have gone on to do and they're, they're not a very nice race. So they are connected. The two races are connected, but they're very, very different. And it's the Anunnaki who kind of caused that. Um, but as far as connecting to, to the dragons, they're amazing. My first incarnation was as a dragon. So I, re I, go, to, I go to the Akashic realm a lot. I love working there. And I'm able to read people's past lives terrestrially. I'm also able to go to a different block and read their galactic past lives. So I can read where people have come from or, and how many lives they've had, what's their first life, families, locations. And what's always interesting is when, we, when I speak to people and I give them this information, that because each race has their own personality traits and tendencies, like they do, every, like every race is different, but they've got their own little kind of quirks and ways that they do things. When I say this to people and I communicate this, people start to see that in themselves. And so they're just like, oh, my God, that's why I'm like that. Oh, my God, now that explains why I'm like that. And it's a really kind of deep um, sort of level of uh, information that people uncover about themselves. So I, I, my energy that is within me, my first incarnation was as a dragon. And so each of us retains that grid work within our field so your first incarnation, you'll still have some of that grid work within your field because your soul remembers. Your first, first time you do anything is significant. So the first time you drove a car, you remember. First time you rented a place outside of your parents' house, you remember that. But at the same time, as many reincarnations you had in that, because my point of origin was in Sirius, but I know I have many lives in, in Pleiades. So I'm more connected, in fact, to the Pleiades than the Sirius. Absolutely, yeah, 100%. But you will still... If your first incarnation was on Sirius, you will still have even a little bit of that grid work within your field. And so when you look at how Syrians are, you will see that tendency within yourself. You'll see it mirrored because it reflects what's in you. And that doesn't mean that you're not more connected to the Pleiades because you probably are. If you've lived more significant lives and stuff there, but the first one is always there recorded, right? So for me, the first one is the dragon. So, you know, this is this has positives and it has drawbacks as well. 
So the positive positives are I'm very effective at communicating. I can get my message across. There's there's no problem, right? But at the same time, our fields are so big that when people come into contact with our energy for the first time, it can trigger them. And it's never done intentionally. Like it's always, I love talking to people. I love connecting with people. But people come into contact with the energy and they're like, I'm this, I feel uncomfortable here. I don't know why. And it's and it, almost like people want to keep you at arm's length. So it can be a sort of a solitary journey in a way. And I'm trying to put the message out there that it's like, honestly, if you come across a dragon, I guarantee they're like diamonds. They're like absolute diamonds. If you can hold on to them, they'll be the best asset and friend you could ever have. You just need to get past that initial thing, right? So, yeah. <laughs> I, do agree. I do work with dragons. And yes, the first time I saw them, it was, like, it was shocking. Yeah. But you get so used to that. You can't be without your dragon later on. <laughs> yes. I know, right? I know. And it's kind of like knowing what I know now. And it's when I started to put words on, on this stuff for people, people had never heard it before. And so you've got these people who all of a sudden just thought it was them or thought that, you know, they just didn't fit in or whatever. All of a sudden we're reading this and going, oh, my God, that's me. That's me all over. Like, And what it did do it helped people to understand that what was go what's been going on and why it's been like a solitary path and why you know there's you've experienced what you've experienced it's just a reaction to what you've got within your field it's not anything you could you could help you know so yeah it's... i'm gonna ask you something that i haven't got a response from that and right now this is reminding me about that vision and uh, that it was constantly for a while mm. Uh, about a planet that it was it was beautiful of lava and they have volcanic rocks there were dragons in there i remember that okay and uh but i remember walking through the gardens that it was lava and of course it's hard when you're seen as a point of view as as a human but in in the point of view as a being from there native from that planet It was just beautiful rivers of lava. And it was like seeing flowers right now on planet Earth. As beautiful as that. And I have not found any information about what planet was, what life, because it was one of my lives, but I cannot remember or got information about that. You know, do you know do you know what? It's like um Do you know what this this sort of millions of planets out there and not just in our dimension, you're talking like in the other dimensions as well. Right. So it's we've got layers to this. It's not just like in our dimension here. There's literally trillions and however many planets that are out there still undiscovered. But yet layering the different dimensions on top of that. And it's kind of, you've only got so many humans on earth who are tapping into this stuff and describing it creating content and putting it out on the internet as a resource for people right so there's going to be many sort of situations that i would say perhaps you and your listeners would would come across where there's no reference points where there's no information out there but i would just say that you know don't be discouraged i think okay well you know because i can't find that information you know Am I, have I been influenced? Is, was that coming from me? Did I experience it, etc.? For me, it's always trust what's coming through from the yeah. field. It just There just may not be any sort of information that's out there about that. It might be the first time that, that it's been spoken about, that's all. 
Yes, it is. It is not influence. It came from me. It came yeah. from past memory. Yeah. But uh, I just haven't found any information, more information about that. That was with the dragons, right? Did you say? Yes. I, yes. What, what yeah. I would do if I if I was you, and I was I was just really wanting to know um, more about that planet. I would connect to their energies again. And I would just ask them directly and say, look, can you just send me information and context around this? Because it's just, I really, they'd have no problem in doing that and give you access to that information. And and then, so I think it's just a case of, um, I say just the case of it, but it, but it's, it would be a case of connecting to them and, um, and just channeling in that information, really. But it's, yeah, I've, I've often done that. So if, if I've got, a certain thing that comes through and I don't have the full picture, I'd be like, okay, next uh, note to self, next time I connect to them, I'll ask them about that and I'll see if they can with me. And that's just probably what I do. So uh, I, I see that you work, you're a coach also and you're a healer and you work with Akashic Records like you mentioned. How do you work with people? Oh, um, so on on a I do group work with people. I also do work on an individual basis as well. And I don't advertise or market myself as a healer, but I'm coded with it deeply. So that what tends to come up during individual client sessions is pain and trauma release. And I've often had it that I hold a certain frequency, and so when somebody would book a session or a series of sessions the energy of that already starts to affect them right? because they've set the intention and they put it into motion. They already start to get affected by the frequency. And I've had it before where a client has presented and literally within three seconds, I'm about to introduce myself as all boom, already it's coming up. All this organ trauma, the pain and trauma is being purged by the body. And I'm like, well, okay. So I had to hold space then for a few minutes and just let that subside. And then we kind of got into it. But that's kind of um, how, so that, that was one example, but more often than not, somebody would present because they're energetically stuck or blocked and they would have sort of X, Y, and Z that they want to talk about. And X, Y, and Z would lead us into their field and what the what was in the field to be work, worked on. So I say to people when I work with them, look, um, at the end of the day, I, I'm... Um, I facilitate these sessions, but I work with the energy that your field gives me to work with. So your field is the boss. So I'm just, I'm reading the energy that you're giving me and I'm working with it. And so I, the sessions are split into sort of, the, the they take about 90 minutes, but between 90 minutes and two hours roughly, depends on how much heavy lifting we're doing. And so we start off with the investigation and I'm making scribbles in my pad and I'm having a conversation, but I'm reading the energy behind the words, if that makes sense. So I'm talking, but I'm multitasking at the same time. And what I'm really doing is looking into the field at the back end of these words energetically, what it's showing me. And so we'll be talking away and certain things will light up for me energetically like this. And I'll be making notes like this as I go through. And sometimes each set, there can be eight or nine pages that I've scribbled as I go through. And then what, what we'll do is we formulate then, um, I call it the prescription or the game plan, right, of what we're going to do energetically. Mm -hmm. And so we need, we will have identified 
various things that, that need various modalities. So I'm, I may need to go to a client's Akashic records and read some past lives so they understand the lesson so I can then neutralize some karma. I might need to do that. There might be some ancestral pattern which is sitting in their field, which is something that the field has learned from the ancestors and the same situation is rolling down generationally like this. Yeah, all, all that kind of stuff. Maybe the field has learned certain things around finances. And again, that, that we can dig into that. There might be soul patterns. There might be ties, cords, or bonds. There might be past life trauma, pain and trauma, which, which is as unresolved and, and, and is triggering the client for some reason. It goes on and on and on. And so what we will have identified through this quantum conversation and the notes that I've made is exactly what modality we need to shift the stuff that's in the field. And so then what I do is I order the stuff so that it flows nicely. And again, you, I tweak what I do as I go along and I'm constantly adjusting to, to the sessions because I used to I used to do all the pain and trauma stuff up front at the beginning of the energy section. But then I, I found that clients were beginning sometimes to express emotions and it was hard for them to engage with me for the rest of the energy work that I had to do. So I now do the pain and trauma at the back end. That's, and then they can go off and integrate and I don't need to, to witness it. Um, so it's kind of like just tweaking as, as you kind of go, go through. Um, so once I've formulated the prescription, I then get consent in the moment because I never assume implied consent. So I'll always ask in the moment if I've got their full consent and they're happy for me to, to do the work and I make sure I've, I've got that. And then I jump in and do the work. And so um, if a client is, um, let's say, sensitive to energy, it's not uncommon that they would feel um, they would feel energy in the physicality. So either hot and cold or they're getting goosebumps or flushes or their ears are hissing and whining and or they can just feel the, the, the energy within them. I tell people not to be sort of alarmed by that and just to just to understand the process. Um, as I'm lifting, if there's ancestral patterns, that literally feels like a rush of energy coming out of the body and out the crown like this. It's, it's amazing. Um, and again, we involve the ancestors. We talk to the ancestors. And then there's a certain method that we go through that lifts this pattern energetically from the field. It's very, very powerful stuff, this. And then we keep going, we work all the way through, and then at the end, I connect typically to the Arcturians. And from their collective consciousness field, um, I would draw healing frequency from there. And I draw down what I call the Arcturian codes of bitter medicine. And they, they are quite agitated as they come in. So as a person receives this into their field, it almost feels like it's agitating energy. And what it's designed to do, it's very, very, very powerful, this. And what it's designed to do, imagine each of your organs like a glass of water. And, uh, some, and, and some of the organs will have sediment at the bottom, which is pain and trauma that sits in each organ, right? And as this frequency comes in, it's shaking up the organ like that. And sediment, pain and trauma stored within the organ, starts to float up to the surface. And that's when the client will have an opportunity to express that emotion, just to kind of, um, and again, you have to engage with the stuff, which, which you know, it's basically, it's like intensified shadow work is what it is. Um, so that's basically as, as that comes in. I say to the client, basically feeling is healing. So if you're feeling it, you're healing it. So it's just a case of just being brave one last time and going back there to let that go. 
And then typically the session will finish. And then I normally just, I just tell them how, um, how they're probably going to feel the following day. If we've had the session and it's in the morning for them, by the back end of the day, they're always really tired energetically. And then the following morning, after they've slept like a baby overnight. And the following morning, they'll feel like they've got jet lag. So they'll feel like um, they're, they're a bit spaced out. They don't know if they're hungry and all the rest of it. Just, look, that's just part of the process. And, uh, oh, yeah, one, one last thing I, I've, and again, I've learned, is that healing frequency is so potent that um, I now have to consciously block myself from receiving any of that energy. Um, and just act merely as a channel or a conduit for that frequency. Because what I was finding was was I was ended up getting a taste of this frequency myself. And then a couple of days after the session, I'd be purging after the session. And I was like, this is no good because it's knocking off my schedule and my sessions. I need to I need to block myself. So that's basically what I started to do. Um, and I just I consciously block myself so the client has all of that that energy then. And it's a it's a remarkable um, experience. Number one, they heal. Number two, the optimum flow of chi or energy in a, in a certain particular area of their life is restored. Income levels are restored if they've got problems with the relationships. That just tends to melt away. Oh, another thing. Sorry, I could go on and on, but just lastly, um, one of the things that they may have within their field are distortions based upon what they've been through, and around you. Around all of us, we've got what I call the frequency egg. And this is like your auric field. And that's a field of energy that sits around you. If you are in a high vibrational um, sort of, if you're feeling high vibrational, your field is huge. You can fill a room. Inversely, if you're feeling worried, low stressed, your field is, is shrunking. And that's why you get the energy vampires. When they walk into a room, their field's like that. And they try and absorb all the energy unconsciously from around them. Trying to get so that's, and that's why you can also shift the energy in a room. 100%, yeah. And inversely, if your field is filling the room, when you walk into a room, you light the room up. People want to come and talk to you. They gravitate towards you because you're nice to be around because your, your excess energy is feeding into their field so they feel good. And so that's why it works unconsciously. Or like, like how you mentioned it before, some people might reject it because it might uncover some of the things that they have to work with themselves and they don't even know why, but they are making it react. 100%. Yeah, it's, 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 fasc it's fascinating. And the thing is, we are energetically, unconsciously, energetically influenced all day, every day, by those around us, from the environment, from everything. We don't realize it because we're just tuned into the five senses, eyeballs and what we can smell and hear and all this kind of stuff. But our field is reacting all the time around us, right? So it's just, I guess, you know, it's a case of um, just understanding this and learning how to work with it, really. It's a beautiful thing. So, How do you work with the shadow, the shadow parts of the, of the humans? Because we all have, like you mentioned. Yeah, 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 for sure. We all have that. For sure. So myself, like, if I was, um, if I was still controlled by ego, I would be like, yes, I've done the shadow work. Yes, it was fantastic. Yes, it was the best shadow work I've ever done and all this stuff, right? But ultimately, it's like, how do we really know that we are fully healed? You don't. You only know the work that you've done, right? You don't know the stuff that's going to maybe going to come up in the future. I don't know. I know how much work I've done, and I feel really good on a day-to-day -day basis. I feel happy. I feel joyful. And so I'm in a good place. But so how do I then work with the shadows with the other person? 
that's that pain and trauma that we were talking about. So if, for instance, you come across, if you're triggered by a situation or something emotionally triggers you, that stems back from a place where you've been hurt previously, usually when you were a child, or maybe it's something from a past life. There's some unresolved trauma from a past life. I've had that before now. Um, and there's so we, we can sort of disconnect that and, and alleviate that. But ultimately, if, you, if you're triggered or you get anxious or something causes you an emotional reaction and it's not, you're not neutral to it, that's probably a little clue that there's, there's some unresolved pain in there somewhere connected to it. Yeah, like many of my clients tell me, how do I remove the ego from me? It's like actually it's your, best, your best friend because he's showing you what you have to work and make you react to something that's just absurd. You know, you know, you know what you can't. You can't. Um, I, I hear, I hear so much language within the spiritual community, right? And and again, I get it because we've got to call stuff names. We have to give things names, right? So it's it's okay. But it's like every, you know, you hear this spoken about a lot. It's like the ego death and the death of the ego. And I'm thinking, you can't kill the ego. The ego is a part of who we are. All we, all, but the trick that we need to kind of try and learn is not to be controlled by it and just to move it to one side. We're never going to kill it and get rid of it. Why would you want to kill it? You know, <laughs> like I mentioned to them, it's like, it's, do you want to cut your hand? It's like, no, I need my hand exactly. You need your ego. It's part of you. It is yeah. like hand is like your finger. You don't want to cut any parts of you. The hmm. same thing applies for the ego. The ego can be your best friend and I your teacher. Say- if you want to work with it. And if not, well, you're going to have a big rock when you're walking. Yeah. So you want to treat it. 100%. 100%. It's just a case of, like I say, acknowledging it, but just not being controlled by it. And in the example that I gave you just about myself, you know, it's like, it's like I think a part of, um, a part of sort of moving the ego to one side is kind of, kind of embodying humbleness in a way, is being a bit humble, humble to know that we're not perfect, right? And we're, we're human beings and that's, that's okay. It's, it's really okay not I to think, be perfect, you know? I truly am a true believer that if we're in this plane in the 3D, because we're still here, yeah. uh, we have still things that we have to work with. 100%. It doesn't matter if it's the Dalai Lama or Deepak Chopra or whoever it is. It is still in this plane. It still have things they have to work with. Hundred percent, one hundred percent. We all we are all a work in progress, and we're all just at different pages and different chapters of the same book. But we get to the same page in the end. All of us, you know, it doesn't matter. We're just we're just at different stages, like I say, of this journey of evolution. But you know, to feel like you know. We'll get to a point and, um, you know, we will be evolved and we'll never be. I think even to the point that we return back to source, we'll still be growing and learning and evolving. And that's just, it's a constant thing, isn't it? The same universe continues expanding. Why we're not? (laughs) We're part of it. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. Yes. And something that I see in our community it is, they're so much afraid of, for them, it has to be love and light. Forget about nothing else because they are so afraid even when you talk about entities or you talk about yeah. uh, dense yeah. energies and they don't even want to mention them because they're too afraid yeah. of Oh, goodness me. I've, and the thing, the thing is as well, and so this, the spirit in which I, I teach people is I try, I, I want to show exactly how it is 
and therefore exactly how, what to avoid and how to protect yourself. Because just going along, just understand that within that quantum field, it's not all rainbows and unicorns. And just as there is the most amazing stuff, sorry, I've got this huge clap of thunder. There we go, Mother Nature just having a bang in the drums. And um, so we've got, she's got this huge, uh, just as we've got these amazing races of light, there's some stuff in there that you'd want to protect yourself from. And I've seen it before where you've got people who are, do you know what? If I don't focus on it, it doesn't exist. And therefore, it's not in my timeline. Therefore, it can't touch me. And therefore, if, I, if everything I just focus on is all that's there, then I'm good and it's love and light. But like you say, unless you're aware of the other side of it, you can't protect yourself fully. And therefore, you're actually vulnerable. So thinking that way and being pigeonholed to think all there is is rainbows and unicorns because that's all I'm thinking about is leaving yourself wide open to be kind of attacked and stuff like that. And I wish it wasn't the case. I'd love it to be rainbows and unicorns, but it's not, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, we just need to be aware. Everything is a teacher. Everything is a teacher. Even those shadows, those entities, those are teaching us mm. unless to believe more in ourselves, to bring yeah. down our fears, to affront whatever we have to work with. Yeah. Every, every, every time we've been... I mean, you can imagine... The, the line of work that I'm in here and the message and the energy that I kind of bring here and because I'm of the light and because I like to, you know, I'm about shining a light on the shadows and kind of not, you know, and all this kind of stuff. You know, this there's, there's, we've been targeted countless times energetically, both by entities and both by human beings who are behaving not particularly great in the quantum field. And, you know, I'm not going to pay that any energy at all, but let's just say that, you know, they, in a way, some of them have been our greatest teachers because it's kind of some of the sort of high-level sophisticated defences I now have around me within the quantum field came as a result of learning to overcome what we were faced with. So now I'm not facing those challenges anymore, and I'm pretty secure. I mean, like quantum Fort Knox, I would say. I would say that I look back with gratitude and I said, you know what, thank you. You know, in a way, I'm grateful for the attack because it allowed me to overcome it and become stronger. So, the, yeah. The majority of the light uh, star seats or the light workers or healers, whatever you want to name, you want to call them, it doesn't mm. matter. They, we have lived many traumatic things, many horrible things, the majority of us. So we are, where we are now, we have to pass through all that trauma, all that pain, all that darkness, and, all that and, shadows, or whatever we need. Yeah. And if and, we don't acknowledge it, we are not going to get out of there. We're going to continue reviving the same trauma. Yeah, and, and the thing is, uh, how people treat other people is a reflection of what's going on inside of them, right? So it's like how we, it starts with us and it ends with us always, right? So like how we treat others is a reflection of, of, of what we got going on in there. And so if you've got people, human beings, behaving badly within the quantum field, either for financial gain or to look to damage other people or have whatever the intention is behind behind it, is simply a reflection of, of an unhealed part of them. And so all it is, you've got people who are capable but haven't done the inner work. That's the problem. And so when the people who are capable actually go, do you know what, I need to heal, I need to do this, then they wouldn't act in the way that they do sometimes. So it's not, it's not because you've got to think, right? And for, for your audience, you've got to think what you're dealing with is within the quantum field is frequency and energy. It comes down to the intention 
on how you use that, right? You can be a force for good. You can be a force for, for, for bad. Fire, for instance. Fire can keep you warm. It can warm up your house. It can also burn your house down if you intended to burn your house down with it, right? Electricity. It can have the lights going on here, the Wi-Fi router. We have a nice conversation together. It can run an electric chair if you wanted it to. So it just comes down to the intention behind the energy. It's not the energy itself. And it so it will go with love also. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Creator or it can heal you. Depends. A hundred percent. So I think I think that um I think a lot of people it just you know, I'm not I know it's a journey for everybody. So, you know, even though I've been on the receiving end of this stuff, I try not to judge because I've been in an unhealed place myself, you know, years and years and years ago. So I kind of know what it's like to come from this wounded place. So I just off I I just send back love and I send back understanding and sympathy. And I just know that it's a journey we'll all take. And that once the core wounding has been healed within people, whatever that is, then people just tend to behave a bit better. So I just kind of know it's, but it's a process we're all on. We just try not to, I try not to take it personally is all I try and do. So That is true. Well, you have something else that would you like to add? Well, um, I'm just thinking, just let me just have a think in relation to that, because I want, I want to end it on a positive. I don't want to, to kind of, we've just been talking about the sort of, negative side of the quantum field, I'd like to end it on a positive, really. And that just for your audience, just understand that all of you elected to be here at this time, like right now, okay? And it's a special, special time that we're going through. And it feels to me and a lot of other people that this moment of evolution that we're in at the moment is the equivalent of childbirth from mother, right? And it's um, it's the, the moment at which the baby passes down the birth canal and it's the most painful part of the labor process. And, you know, for anybody who's listening to this, who's walked down a labor ward in a hospital at two o'clock in the morning and heard the screams and the moans, it's a pretty eerie place, right, when the lights are off. I, I, I would say it's, I've experienced that. So it's kind of, it's quite an eerie place. But there's there's a huge amount of pain in the labor But the second that the baby is born, as in we ascend, that pain is instantly gone. And if you were to ask any mother at the point that she's holding the child on her chest, at that point, do you regret the childbirth for what you've got now? The silence would just be deafening. And so what I would say is just reflect that onto what we are going through now, this birth canal. So it's very, very painful at the minute. There's a lot of There's a big transition. If I was to fast forward six years or seven years, and I would say to all of you, do you regret 2020 to 2023, this period that we kind of went through, which was very painful for humanity, do you regret that or regret going through it considering what we've now got, which is that baby on the thing, that utopia, all the pain is gone at that point and the silence will be deafening. So it's just a case to understand that what we're going through isn't the destination, it's a process, and it gets better from here. That's what I'd like to end it on. I think we observe what we learn in each situation. It doesn't matter how painful it was. We can transform it. 100%. When it, stops the, when it stops hurting, when the pain stops, you no longer feel pain, do you? So it's in the past, then. It's okay. 
So it's going to be it's going to be fine. I just wanted to end it on a sort of message of hope and um, and just positivity, because another thing I wanted to sort of say is just one of the things we should be mindful of is when we especially people who are connected and we've got this this connection. Right. It's we've got a kind of responsibility on, on what we speak and how we what language we use. And one of the things that I always try and discern is um, if I'm getting information from a quantum field, I will always ask and say, okay, is the person that's going to be receiving this going to be vibrating higher as a result of what I tell them, or is it going to cause them fear and anxiety and all the rest of it? And if, if it doesn't improve their vibrational state, I won't say it, or I will try and frame it in a way which is positive, which helps them. That's what I would what I will also like to say. So that it is so true. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your service. You're welcome. Thank you. And thank you for yours. Um, may the light in me see respect the light in you. And that's it. Thank you so much. Thank you for the conversation. I've truly enjoyed it. Yes. And hopefully in the future we can have another one. Yeah, I would love to. Really enjoyed it. And and vice versa. We, you know, it'd be good to it'd be get good to invite you on ours as a guest and and introduce you to our audience and stuff like that. It'd be fantastic. So I think our audience or oh, your your cat has just gone. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> oh, bless. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for being here in Soul Talk. And if this helped you, please like it and share it. And uh, leave us a little uh, review. That will be great. Thank you so much. This is Monica Ramirez, Warrior of Love. Thank you for joining me today. I would love to share with you my transformational system, Path to the Heart, that I created just for you. Head over to monicaramireswarrioroflove.com and you will find free resources. In there, you can download a masterclass in how to stop being people pleaser and meditations to get you started.